Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. We serve a good God, amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians. Uh, Galatians is in the New Testament, and so uh, you can make your way there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardback somewhere near you. And if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. You feel free to take that today. Uh, I felt like after three weeks in Habakkuk, we needed some uplifting scripture, so we're uh, moving to the gospel, right? We're going to Galatians, and uh, we're going to talk about the fact that there's no other gospel. Uh, but as you're turning there, let me just kind of give you a little bit of uh, church business that's going on. Um, we, uh, you may have noticed this, may not have noticed this. There was this really old church bus that we've had for years that we endearingly called the Metal Muffin, and... Um, it has set out in the backyard for, for a little while now. I remember as a youth pastor taking that, that bus on many, many trips uh, to ski trips and the youth camps. And my favorite memories are it breaking down on us, you know, on the side of the road. Uh, but we have blessed another church with that, with that bus. So uh, <laughs> we, we went ahead and blessed them with it. We're like, just take it, blessings, and uh, send it on. And we were able, Pastor Al was able to uh, get with Hector, and Pastor Al gave me these pictures to show and uh, we were able to use the proceeds to buy Hector a new van. And uh, so this is, uh, this is his van now. And if you have ever been, look at these kids in here. They're excited because if you ever rode in the old van, man, this is a blessing right here. This is, this is a blessing. Uh, so there it is. We're, we're excited to be able to, to share that. And uh, just, you know, I wanted you to know that uh, we're blessing those that we can and uh, blessing some with uh, a church van that you know, we hope it runs. So there you go. Um, so Galatians, uh, no other gospel uh, this morning. So a uh, little quick survey. How many of you know what Wednesday is? Yeah, good. You were paying attention. Trunk or treat, rain or shine. How many of you know what Thursday is? Reformation Day. Good. There's, there's some pagans in here, but that's okay. Uh, Reformation today is what I was going for, in case you <laughs> don't know. Uh, no, just uh, all kidding aside. Reformation Day is, uh, we go back to 1517 where Martin Luther, he nailed his 95 Thesis to the castle door of Wittenberg, Germany. And basically he, he started the Protestant movement and had no intention of doing so. Uh, basically, the, the Catholic Church at that time was in its heyday, and, and Pope Leo had uh, decided that he was going to build uh, Peter's Basilica, and he was running out of funds. So he came up with this great idea to sell uh, what he called indulgences. And uh, what you could do is he would send out these priests to go and preach about hell, and then he would sell indulgences because uh, if you would purchase these indulgences, you could pur purchase grace and mercy and righteousness from these other saints that they didn't use up all of theirs. They had so much to go around that you could purchase that. And even if you had a dead loved one that was stuck in purgatory, you could buy one for them and get them out of purgatory. And so uh, Martin Luther's going through scripture and he's reading scripture and he's like, look, this is wrong. Number one, if, if the Pope has so much extra grace and mercy, why doesn't he just give it away? And number two, why is Jesus' sacrifice not enough? Why should we be having to purchase anything for salvation? And so when we get into Galatians here, there's, there's kind of this movement that's coming into the church where these what are called Judaizers, these Christian Jews that believe like, look, yeah, we believe in Jesus. We believe what Jesus did, but... We also believe that you need to adhere to a certain set of rules. 
Uh, men, you need to get circumcised. There was a lot of women in the church. You know, uh, you know you've got to, some of you got that. It's good. You're, you're keeping up. So, you know, there's, there's all these things that you need to do. You need to follow these, these customs. And if your kids have questions, just that's a good, uh, that's a good talk for lunch. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> back to the notes, Jeff. Back to the notes. Um, so these Judaizers came in, and they're preaching a different gospel. Basically, what they're doing is they're teaching, yes, Jesus plus something else. And that's dangerous. And so Paul is highly upset. And Paul just, he marches right into this letter to the churches of Galatia, which is a bunch of churches in Asia Minor. And so he's writing to them. So let me pray for us. And then we'll jump into Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. God, we have sang songs about the gospel the gospel of goodness and grace that is unmerited. It's given freely. It's by you and you alone what you've done for us, that we did nothing to deserve it and we did nothing to earn it. But God, you love us while we were yet sinners. You sent your son and you died for us so that we could have a way, we could be brought back into a right relationship with you. This morning, as we look at the gospel, Father, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive what your word says. And Father, if someone in here doesn't know you, I pray that today they come to a saving knowledge of you. In Christ's name, amen. Galatians chapter 1, starting in the first verse, going through 10. And uh, let's read here. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are running or turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As I have said before, now I will say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is... God's word. Paul, he, he goes in pretty hard against these Galatians because they're turning to religion. They're turning back away from the gospel towards religion. And religion is simply this, is man's effort to get to God. Religion is man's effort to get to God. Everyone is born with a survival nature that insists that we can make our own way to God. Everyone believes that there's something that they can do to make God pleased with them. Well, if I act this way, if I do this, if I don't do this, if I will just adhere to these rules, if I will just follow what what I'm supposed to do, then God will be pleased with me. The thing is, is that that's your attempt to earn God's favor by what you do. And what we do is never going to be good enough. That's why Jesus Christ had to come. Religion teaches that we have to do certain things and adhere to certain laws to maintain God's favor. That's a fancy way of saying this. Maybe, maybe you have had sin enter into your life, and you knew it was wrong, and you felt guilty for it, which you should, but then you felt this shame of, well, God couldn't love me. Well, God, God can't be pleased with me. 
The, the thing is that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. You did nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it. So why would you then believe that it now is your responsibility to maintain it? Isn't that, isn't that an interesting thought? We, we quickly turn to this survival mode, but the difference is gospel grace. The gospel teaches us of grace is the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the sustaining work of God through sanctification. God's grace, his good gospel grace, not only saves you, but it sustains you. It holds you, it leads you, it guides you into a right relationship with God. As we've said this, Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I like the story in Mark where Jesus is, um, he's asked a question. He, he kind of chimes in here in Mark 2, 15 through 17. And as he reclined at the table in the house of many tax collectors and sinners that were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now just get this picture. Jesus is reclined at a table. He's having food and fellowship with many tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors are, are mentioned here because their, their view back then was tax collectors were even worse than sinners. So you had sinners, then you had tax collectors. These tax collectors, they were collecting money to keep the Roman oppression going. And these Roman officials, they were coming in and they were, they were taking things from people. They were uh, robbing people. They were taking their daughters. They were doing all kinds of things they shouldn't be doing. And if you were a Jew collecting money for them, you were only feeding the monster. So you had sinners and you had tax collectors. And where do you find Jesus? Jesus is sitting there reclining at a table. He's not looking, going like, oh, if someone catches me eating dinner with these people. Have you ever thought that as you sit in a restaurant? Oh, if someone from church walks in and they see me eating with this person. You know what? You might just look like Christ for a second. Just for a moment there. You might actually be doing what Jesus was doing. So, And the scribes and the Pharisees, these religious people who were adding works to sanctification and justification. When they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, he said, uh, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, there's this part of us that believes that I have to produce, I have to do, I have to don't do in order for God to be pleased with me. And when you see God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, you quickly realize that Jesus has gone to those who are sinful, those who are sick, those who are in need of a Savior, and that's who he is hanging out with because he realizes, and we should realize, that Jesus loves sinners. He loves sinners. You don't have to do anything to earn his favor. Gospel grace, the free and unmerited favor of God manifested in the salvation of sinners and the sustaining work of God through sanctification is so simple, it's hard to understand. It's hard to accept. It's hard for us to accept because we believe there has to be something that I have to do. It can't be just that easy. It can't be just given to me. I don't deserve it. That, the world doesn't work that way. It's so easy, it's hard to accept. Because even after we are saved, there are still traces of performance mentality that makes us think that we can earn God's favor by what we do. 
even after we come to an understanding and a knowledge of Jesus Christ and the grace that's bestowed on us, there's a part of us that wants to go back to a, yeah, but I still need to produce. I still need to do something so God's happy with me. Because we all know that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Right? No. No. But that's how we live. But there's gospel grace. Here's freeing news for you this morning in Jesus Christ through the gospel. gospel God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance for him. Rather, it's based on Christ's work on your behalf. That's good news. You feel like you need to come in here and put on a show and act like, hey, I've got this all together. I've been a good person all week. I haven't said one bad word this week. You guys would be really happy with me. You know, you're like, I, you know, you would be surprised at how well I've done. Your performance. It, that's not what God's looking at. He's looking at the work of his son, Jesus Christ, on your behalf that covers your sins because you'll never be good enough. Gospel grace. First thing I want you to see in this section of scripture that we're looking at this morning is there is no other gospel because the gospel is from Jesus and God the Father. The gospel is from God. It's from Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul, an apostle, not of men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Where are you in that verse? You're not there. This is what God does through Jesus Christ. It's God's work. It's his will. Salvation and grace is through God and God alone. Gospel grace is from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ through the willing sacrifice of himself for our deliverance and is according to his will and plan for his glory forever and ever. Amen. That's good news. God is at work when we are helpless, when we are hopeless. It is from God. So what exactly did we do to deserve this deliverance? I gave you the answer there. Nothing. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's a free gift of God through his son, Jesus Christ. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. We'll look at this next week, Acts chapter 9. This is the conversion of Saul to Paul where Jesus meets him on the road and, and radically changes his life. We'll, he'll give his testimony later in chapter 1, and so we'll look at that next week. But what you see here is that Paul is starting to give himself some credibility. Look, I, I wasn't placed here by man. Jesus Christ found me. Now, he found him in the most peculiar way. But the question is, was Paul looking for salvation in Jesus when Jesus found him? You may know this. No. He was actually on his way to put more Christians in jail. He was persecuting the church. He was going after the church. He wasn't looking for Jesus, yet Jesus came to him. Was Paul looking for acceptance from God through his works? Yes. He was in a works-based religion. If I will do these things, then I will be accepted by God. And he is going out and he's doing what he can to be accepted by God. Was Paul looking for acceptance from religious peers for his evident pious behavior? Yes. He was climbing the ladder in this religious uh, 
hierarchy. He had had the best teachers. Now he's making a name for himself. And he's like going to them and saying, look, I'll go get them all. I will make a name for myself. You'll see how devoted I am to God. Paul was fervently devoted, adherent, and passionately compliant to the wrong gospel. Paul was enslaved to a religion and a manner of lifestyle and custom that he believed made him right with God, but he was in fact lost in darkness, darkness of another gospel. And it made him angry. It made him judgmental. It made him full of religious pride. So quickly we turn back to a works first gospel. God will be pleased with me if I do these things. Others will accept me if I do these things. If I will look a certain way, I will earn credit. But then you have to ask yourself, have you ever been angry, judgmental, and full of religious pride? Why? Why? Was it because you were so me-focused and not God-focused? Look at what I can do. Look at how well I live. You're not living up to my standard. You're not doing it as well as I do it. If we compare ourselves with others and think, I'm good because of what I do or don't do, and they are bad because of what they do or don't do, then our religion becomes me-focused and not God-focused, and me-focused people are prideful, angry people. Prideful, angry people push people away from the gospel. That you don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It is God's free gift. The gospel life is a Christian, it's a Christ-centered life, not a me-centered life. Romans 1.16, Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also the Greek. This is what Paul says, look, I'm not ashamed. God has done a work in me, and it is evident. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I wasn't looking for it, but God has changed my life. He has set me free from the power and the bondage of sin and slavery and also religion, and now I'm living a life for him, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power for salvation. It's the power of God in the life of a believer. Gospel power is delivering power. Look at what it says there in verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. The work of Jesus Christ on your behalf is a delivering power. Now get this. From this present evil age. Many of us in our attempts to earn God's favor go back to a me-centered religion. And we feel so condemned by the sins that are in our life. I'll never be good enough. But the power of the gospel is this. He is able to break every chain of sin that is in your life, every present darkness that is in your life. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain of sin and darkness in the present evil age. There is victory in Jesus. One commentator said this, imagine that you are walking past a lake and you see a woman and she's in the lake and she's drowning. And so you are, you're met with this, this, I need to save this woman. How am I going to save this woman? And so you throw her a manual on how to swim. If you will read this, you will be delivered. You will be saved, right? He's like, no, that's not, that's not how it works. Jesus didn't show up and say, look, if you'll just understand, if you'll just read all the rules of how to follow me, then you'll be saved. Now, Jesus... Jesus is the one that takes the place of us in the water. 
When we're drowning, when we're hopeless, when we're helpless, Jesus says, no, I'll take your place. I'll be the one that is the sacrifice for you. The gospel power is a delivering power. You need to know this today. If you're struggling with sin and you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you put your full faith in him, he has the power to break the chains of sin in your life. It's a defining power. The gospel is a defining power. Look at what Paul says in his letter to Ephesus. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. There is power in the name of Jesus to make sinners saints. There is power in the gospel to make you redefined. The thing about sin is it wants to define you. It wants to tell you you're this because of this sin in your life. You're an adulterer, you're a homosexual, you're a thief, you're a robber, you're a tax collector. You know, you're, you know, whatever it is, you are this because that's the sin that's in your life. It wants to define you. In Jesus Christ, we are redefined as sons and daughters of a king. You are no longer the thing that's in your life that wants to identify you. You are now identified by Jesus Christ. It's a defining power that comes in the life of a believer. John 1 12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's a defining power. It is a delivering power. And it's a discovering power. It's a discovering power. It sustains us and moves us towards. Look at what he says there, continued in chapter 1 of Ephesians 15 through 19. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? There is power to discover, to be enlightened to who Jesus Christ is as he lives in and through a believer by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. There is power in the name of Jesus to walk in immeasurable greatness of his power. The grace of God is not only salvific, but it's sustaining and sanctifying. It is God's work in the life of a believer, not by what they do, but by who Jesus Christ is. This is what Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 3-4. Our Wednesday night crowd looked at this. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is what Peter says. Because of the gospel, because of the free gift of God that you didn't deserve, you didn't earn it, God has now granted you the power, his very own power and presence, his divine power, so that you can become partakers in the divine nature. 
so that you can become more and more and more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He can break every chain of sin and slavery in your life. He can redeem you and redefine you and give you a new name. He can help you discover him in new ways as you walk in obedience to his word and walk according to his will. You will then find yourself growing in grace and mercy, not following rules, trying to be good, trying to do this and don't do this. And trying to make sure that everyone else around you knows, oh, they're a good Christian. Look at what they do and what they don't do. Grace is God's divine power. Salvation, sanctification, and unmerited grace through Jesus Christ. And it's freely poured out on those who believe. It never was and it never will be dependent upon what you can do or how well you can act. It will never be dependent on how well you act or what you do. Romans 6, 10 through 12 says this, The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives in God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in God and Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus. Do you see that? He died once and for all. There is no more sacrifice that needs to be made for your sin. There's nothing else that you can do to make yourself right with God. His righteousness is now given to you through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. It is a free gift of God's grace. Second thing is this. There's no other gospel because the gospel is grace received from God. He goes on and says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Number one, this is scary because I'm preaching to you the gospel, right? This is, this is kind of scary. But it's the gospel based on what Jesus Christ has done, not what men can do. If anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to the one that Paul is preaching, that is Christ alone who does the work, let him be accursed, even if it's an angel from heaven. Even if if an angel comes and wants to start another religion, right? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, Mormons, Muslims, okay. So even if another angel comes, let him be accursed. This is the gospel. This is God's word. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I'm astonished that you're turning. This word is to transfer one's allegiance. I'm, so, I'm, I'm just astonished that you would so quickly change your allegiance. Now, can you imagine a Boston Red Sox fan going to New York and quickly putting on a New York Yankees hat? No, there is no way that's going to happen. No, if you've met anyone from Boston, right, you're going to know that they're not going to do that. Can you imagine that someone would so quickly take off their UT jersey and put on an Alabama one? Yes, because everyone jumps on the bandwagon, right? Everyone does it. I'm astonished that you would leave being a Vols fan so quickly, right? You're like, it's not been quickly. It's been a long, long, hard road. He says this so quickly. I can't believe you've done this so quickly. It reminds us of Exodus 32, 7 through 8. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought. I like this. He doesn't say my people. He's like, those are your people. Okay. 
Let's just make this clear. They're acting like your people, not my people. Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are our gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So quickly. I mean, look at all the works that God did to bring them out of slavery. Look at all the miracles and all the manifestations of his presence that he did. He gets them there and they so quickly turn to a, well, let's do this. Let's change our, our worship. Let's go back to something that we can do. He said, I'm so astonished that you would so quickly do this. This is not working as quick as I need it to this morning. If you could hit the next slide there. It says, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The word distort is really the word reverse. These Judaizers, they're coming in and they want to reverse the gospel. Well, they still claim Jesus. They still claim the work that he's done, but they want to reverse it into a works first gospel. They want to take it and say, look, this is what we did. Now, now we're accepted by God. Often we are quick to transfer our allegiance to a reverse gospel, a works-first gospel, because a strict adherence to a list of do's and don'ts is both measurable and teachable. You can measure how well you're doing by do's and don'ts. And when someone asks you, what does it look like to follow Jesus? It's much easier to explain do's and don'ts than the grace of God. Because the grace of God is so simple, it's hard to accept. How can God love me if I've done nothing to deserve it? How can God love me? Romans 3.20 says this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. If you want to revert back to a reverse gospel, the only thing you'll be aware of is how sinful you really are and how you don't measure up. Our works can't save us, and our works can't sustain us. Good works are merely an implication of grace. Don't confuse the implications of grace with grace. There will be times when we worship God, love God, serve God, make disciples, do things, go to church. These are implications, not the things we hold ourselves to. Grace is not to be maligned or cheapened. By continuing to sin, Paul says this in Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Here's what Paul would say. How can you continue to live a reverse gospel? How can you continue to do do's and don'ts and, and continue in sin when you have been immersed with Jesus Christ? That you've been buried, you've died to your old way, and you've been risen to newness of life in Jesus Christ. 
This is, why, this is why we say that baptism is the first act of obedience because you are now putting on display the fact that there has been a heart change, that Jesus Christ has done a work in you. You've received grace. You didn't deserve it. And you died to your old way. And now you want to walk in newness of life by the presence and the power of Jesus Christ in you. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul clearly points out what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I deliver to you as of first importance that what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Unless you believed in vain. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But don't believe in vain. To believe in vain means that you hold all these truths, yet you, hold, you don't hold fast to them as the only way of salvation. To believe in vain is to rest on your educational understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Even the demons believe, and they shudder, is what James says. To believe in vain is to believe that Jesus did his part in salvation, and now I must do mine. To believe in vain is to believe for a period of life due to your cultural surroundings and your upbringing, and then later deny who Jesus is with your life. That is to believe in vain. But even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now let us say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The scriptures that attest to the work of Christ are what we gauge our belief on. Not church traditions, cultural changes, or current feelings. So many times we hold ourselves accountable to what church tradition says. We hold ourselves accountable to what cultural changes are happening around us. We hold ourselves accountable to our current feelings. Not only that, we will then hold other believers accountable to these things too. Oh, you're not doing what the church says. You're not holding yourself to these traditional values. You're not holding yourself to our cultural understanding of the gospel. You're not holding yourself to what the world says is okay now. You're letting yourself be swayed back and forth. See, we hold ourselves to no other gospel than the one that was preached by Paul through the New Testament. We hold ourselves to Scripture. We hold ourselves and other believers to the Word of God and the gospel. We must be careful not to quickly turn to a reverse gospel that holds ourselves or believers or to a set of church traditions, to cultural changes or cultural norms, or to a personal current feeling or wants and desires. Let me wrap up with this. And the third thing I want you to see, there is no other gospel because the gospel of God is God-focused, not man-focused. The gospel is God-focused, not man-focused. He says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. As we pointed out earlier, Paul was trying to do things religiously to earn the favor of God and the favor of men. He was trying to put on a certain persona and act a certain way so that he could be seen as righteous and right. He gets to a point where he's like, I'm not trying to do that anymore. I'm just trying to live my life 
to please God. We all have a fear of man. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be loved. We all want to fit in. It's most evident when you're in middle school, right? Because you're trying to do anything and everything to be accepted by the crowd. You'll dye your hair. You'll wear certain clothes. You'll wear your jeans inside out. You know, you'll do whatever you can to be accepted by those that are around you. That was a personal story. Um, I, don't need, I don't need to elaborate on that. But the fear of man and the seeking of approval from man enslaves believers and unbelievers. It happens individually. Believers and unbelievers alike, they'll perform in a way that wins them acceptance from another person. Often, those who hold themselves to the gospel and the word of God will then hold themselves to a reverse gospel because they want to be accepted in a relationship with someone else. They will sacrifice morality. They'll sacrifice their ethics. They'll sacrifice God's word so that they can receive love and acceptance from another person. Paul would say, am I, am I really trying to seek the approval of man? If I was, I wouldn't be serving the Lord. Some of us in here, we've wanted to be accepted by those around us or in a relationship so much that we've walked away from the gospel. Corporately, believers and unbelievers perform it in a way that wins them acceptance from the majority. I want to be accepted by this group of people. In and part of that group of people can be church people. I want to be accepted by church people so much that I'm going to act like I'm doing and don't doing these things so that when I show up on Sunday, I'm, I'm welcomed in. Because if they knew, if they really knew who I was Monday through Saturday, I don't think the church people would like me very much. If they really knew who I was, I wouldn't be loved. But who did Jesus eat with? Tax collectors and sinners. Not a single one of us in here have done anything to deserve God's grace, love, mercy, acceptance, salvation, and sanctification. Not a one of us have done anything to earn that. Not a one of us have it all figured out. We all have sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all come in here with even sins in this past week that if anyone else in this room knew about, we would be so ashamed. So I better put on a face and I better act like I know what I'm doing so that I can be accepted by the crowd. Can we just get over that? Can we just say enough with the games? Enough with the church games? And can we just come in here and say, you know what? I'm now a saint because of what Jesus Christ has done, not what I've done. And though there's still sin in my life and though I still struggle, struggle there's a grace of God that is evident in my life that's leading me towards sanctification. Here's my story. Church, let's find freedom in the gospel, in the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf because we don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing a song. And I want you to understand that there's power this morning in the gospel. Maybe you need deliverance from a sin that's in your life. I encourage you to grab someone's hand and take off your church mask and say, hey, can you pray with me? Because this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I've dealt with this week.
There's power for deliverance. There's defining power in the gospel. I need to be reminded that I am a son and a daughter of the Most High King and that he loves me with open arms. Even when I'm wandering away, he's running to come get me. And then there's discovering power. Some of us in here, we've acknowledged Jesus this morning. Let me invite you to pray, God, I want to know you. I want to be enlightened to who you are each and every moment of my life. Not just do's and don'ts, but actually walking with you. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.